This is Radio Stockdale. Welcome to Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. My guest today is a Naval Academy graduate, a former surface warfare officer, and he's taught at Navy and at OCS in Newport, Rhode Island. For this subject, he's the right guy. He's a private pilot and a professional photographer. Welcome, Jeff Voigt. Michael, thank you. It's a great privilege to be here with you this morning. You know, Jeff, along with all those other things I mentioned above, you also hold an FAA CFR Part 107. What is that and why does that matter? Thanks, Michael. Part 107 is a commercial uh, drone operator license. It's a, it's a flight uh, license issued by the, uh, the FAA. And uh, that makes it very much more easier to fly in uh, airspace that would normally be restricted to recreational pilots. So let's dive into what that means relative to these words. A drone. We call these things drones, but they're really not just a drone. You know, you hear a drone, you hear small unmanned aircraft system, you hear unmanned aerial vehicle, UAV. Typically, I associate a small unmanned aircraft system, an SUAS, as an autonomous vehicle linked to a human, whereas an unmanned aerial vehicle, a UAV, may be far more autonomous and generally associated with military application. You know, let's stick with that UAV, UAV pilot, UAV systems operators. There's, t- tell us the network of all the people involved in what a UAV is all about. You know, it's definitely tied to the national airspace here in the States. And the FAA, and I completely agree with them, are really, really tightening up the laws and regulations around flying. We'll just call it for the sake of simplicity, drones in the national airspace. There's a network of pilots. There are about 300,000 drones flying in the national airspace in America today. That's twice as many, quote unquote, aircraft as manned aircraft in the same airspace. So the federal law is constantly trying to catch up with the evolving technology associated with drones. So there are private manufacturers, there's military manufacturers, uh, defense contractors are very big into this, all the way to Apple and Google and uh, delivery products for uh, consumers are out there. So it's a broad network and a very much evolving web. I still call it the Wild West because the evolving technology is way ahead of the laws right now. Kind of frightful. And I want to talk about military applications and commercial applications. Probably start with commercial applications. It's more than just delivering a cup of coffee on time. But let's touch commercial. You mentioned Google. I'm sure Amazon's in it. What, what kind of things are commercial vendors doing now with UAVs? You know, uh, aside from delivering a pair of socks to your front door, which I think is a very minor application for this technology, I actually have experience helping farmers assess their crops. We can tell a farmer in two hours where his crops are infected with insects, under-irrigated, over-irrigated, etc. We go to construction sites and take real-time images of a construction zone and lay those images directly over the blueprint to tell the construction operators if they're actually in compliance with the blueprints themselves. Uh, There's building and tower assessments. There's law enforcement, first responder 
enforcement. I fly an aircraft right now that when it's airborne, most people look up at it and think, oh my gosh, there must be a, a crash underneath that thing. The police are on the scene. You know, I've seen that beast. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is a DJI Inspire 2. It's a it's an aircraft that weighs 9.7 pounds, has about twice the amount of thrust, can fly very, very quickly. It's, it's an aircraft really designed to be flown by a pilot and a camera operator. And it's very well known in Hollywood. This is uh, an aircraft that's used to film live action shots, car scenes, chase scenes, boat scenes. And uh, very much you see it on TV now. You're just looking through the eye of the, the camera of the drone, not at the drone. One of the things I've seen you do before, and it wasn't with this vehicle, but it was with an earlier one, is you know go from your location out to various lighthouses around the Chesapeake Bay. I'm not selling your services here, Jeff, but it, as I think about that, you're actually flying a, a, a mission on a structure or vehicle out in the water. Tell us about that a little bit. That's true. I call it a good cardio workout, you know, because you're putting $6,000 above the water. And if something happens, it's just a submarine and you're not going to record it. Uh, that's why these aircraft are insured and we buy liability insurance as well. I always fly with the mission objective in mind. I think this is part of my military upbringing from the Naval Academy. It's always fun to have an objective in mind. And uh, very often I'll pre-program the drone here in my living room and take it out to the site and hit go, and the aircraft flies the entire mission without me touching the sticks. If it runs low on fuel, it comes back and tells me to change the battery. I hit go again, and it, it flies back to where it ended the, uh, the mission and starts it over again and completes the mission. It's just such a really neat, cool technology. And, you know, I, I did a three-dimensional uh, image of our football stadium, and the drone flew for one hour, multiple batteries, but I've got a three-dimensional image of the uh, football stadium now that you can rotate in any way, shape, or form. And this is a real application for construction sites, building engineers, uh, people looking to maintain or upgrade existing structures. So it's a lot of fun, great deal of accomplishment, a good feeling there. You know, it's a lot of fun, but it's also a little scary because you're right. You could lose that thing in a heartbeat if you don't program it right and fly it right. Let's let's go to military applications. You're not a military drone or UAV pilot right now, but you clearly have background there. You know, if you can if you can do a 3D image of Navy Marine Corps Stadium, you can do a 3D image of a lot of different things from an intelligence gathering standpoint, right? You surely can. Even uh, the drone that I fly, this beast called the Inspire 2, you can lock the camera, the main sensor, on a target. If you're a photographer, you call it you know, the subject. If you're a military person, you call it the target. And uh, you can fly the drone anywhere, and that major sensor will continue to focus on that target or subject. Real application for the military there. And we saw that in Gulf War One back in the 90s, 1990, I believe, uh, where drones really became front page news. I mean, it was evolving technology, one bomb, one target, not a B-17 flight where you're dropping 17,000 bombs to hit a target. Tell me the technologies that are here today that give you that ability to find that target. And I'm talking about not just the ability to program a mission or you know the ability to fly that mission because of batteries and props or, or rotors but also cameras and then other types of sensors. I mean, there's a lot of things going into this stuff, right? 
Yeah, there are. The, uh, the, the aircraft that I fly has multiple vision sensors on it. It's got ultrasonic sensors, heat sensors. Aside from the major sensor, which is a big fat camera, uh, there's a smaller camera on it called an FPV camera, first person view camera. That's the camera that the actual pilot flying the drone would use to keep the aircraft safe while in flight. The second operator would be the cameraman that's operating independently of the pilot not worried about the safety of the aircraft because the pilot's flying the aircraft and the cameraman's shooting the subjects or the targets. Uh, so, you know, this particular aircraft has two batteries, two gyros, two IMUs, uh, two of almost everything for redundancy. And flying it over people, we can even attach a dynamic parachute to it uh, to uh, soften the blow on the way down. It's not used to protect the aircraft. It's used to protect personal property and people beneath it. By the way, the FAA doesn't want you flying these things over people, so we avoid that. Yeah, it's not just protecting the property and the people, but it's protecting the pilot because we have lawyers, right? We got a lot of them. Yes, sir, we do. So let's let's stick with military operations for a second. Can you tell me why you think this might be important technology or skill or a mindset is probably the better, uh, better word for young midshipmen, young naval officers to understand and maybe even embrace and start using. Yes. And I'll tell you, I think the Navy, uh, and this is just my personal opinion, I think the Navy's a little behind uh, the power curve right now. The Air Force is ahead of us. Even West Point Army is ahead of us in, in some of their drone applications out there on the field. Uh, I think it's an evolving technology. Uh, it's an asymmetric warfare technology where, you know, how long did it take to develop the F-22 and how many billions of dollars and decades did that take to get through? Whereas this evolving technology, you can swarm these drones now. In fact, I, I know that we're doing that. There's military applications to connect all these drones autonomously, just one AI and fly missions. If six of them get shot down, the other 25 continue on with the mission. It's here to stay. We can't ignore it. We have to adapt. We have to adopt this technology. And I know, uh, you know, back in the Navy days, uh, the battleship guys were just so against the carriers. And, and here we are again with this gigantic revolution um, under us. And I think we need to recognize it for what it is and uh, move ahead here, particularly in the military. So sticking with the military side of this, uh, you know, while the U.S. clearly has had a lot of press around what they're doing with autonomous vehicles. And by the way, aerial surface and subsurface vehicles. Who else is out there who has leadership positions in autonomous vehicles? Very clearly, in my mind, the Chinese are, are the leaders in the world of this technology right now. My Inspire 2, my Mavic 2 Pro, 80% of the commercial drones, not just the military, are produced by the Chinese. How do you get involved if you're a midshipman or a young officer? You know, it's really quite easy. The, the academy itself has a wonderful drone program uh, led by midshipmen. Uh, these are young men and women that are flying FPV uh, uh, drones, first-person view drones. These are smaller, more like sports cars. The, the guys and gals are wearing headsets where they're actually inside the cockpit of these small drones as they're flying them around. Normally, they're associated with, with racer drones. So there's a, a great institution already percolating at the Naval Academy. Um, I'm happy to, uh, to show anybody 
this technology outside the yard. I teach it also at a local community college. I teach advanced drone flight to students. We do a unique thing there, by the way. We not only give them the ground school component of it, but like man flight, we also give them the stick time and and uh, get them commercially licensed and operated. So to your question, though, Michael, um, a midshipman could go right now to Best Buy and drop, buy the drone that I'm flying right now. Best Buy, two miles away. It's that accessible. Jeff, this is all really, really interesting. Where is all this stuff going? You know, I think to integrate this into our warfare uh, capability, that is to have a small, undetectable, unmanned aerial vehicles out there reporting intel to the aircraft operator, the surface operator, the subsurface operator, and to integrate the, uh, the warfare environment in that aspect. Uh, we're, we're beginning to do that now. Uh, we're seeing it with the larger drones uh, employed by the Air Force and the Army and to a certain extent the Navy. But with the smaller systems, with the battery technology getting better and better and better, driving the cost down to buy more of these uh, UAVs, I think is, is the direction that uh, we ought to take strategically. Jeff, very interesting subject, subject matter. This is going to be around for a while. And I think this is just the, as you said, the Wild West, the leading edge of the curve. Thanks for joining us today. Michael, my pleasure. Go Navy. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, a series of podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. You can hear more podcasts at stockdalecenter.com slash podcasts.